I'm Maeve Nifsi, and I'm co-founder and CEO of Cloud KPI. That's Maeve Nivsky of Cloud KPI, who provide predictive analytics for SaaS companies. This is Move Your Business to the United States from Mount Bonnell Advisors, the consultants who help you expand your business to America. I'm Nasjan Tavakoli-Farr, and we're learning wisdom from the companies who've made the move so we can find out more. Also, send your questions about expanding to the U.S. to Mount Bonnell CEO Sebastian Salborn. The address is info at mountbonnell.com. We've also put that in the show notes. Now, Cloud KPI is a platform for cloud businesses. They provide key metrics and information from across each business's existing software and can be up and running in a matter of minutes. They allow companies to use data dispersed in the cloud, which is then aggregated and analyzed by Cloud KPI's algorithm, allowing businesses to make better decisions. While the co-founders are Irish, they decided from the get-go that the US was going to be their market. We caught up with co-founder Maeve Nivsky on a trip to Dublin to find out more. So we are an analytics solution um, specifically designed for SaaS and subscription companies. Um, and what we do is we use their business data, uh, CRM, you know, sales, revenue and product data. And we interrogate that data to analyze it to find ways in which they can replicate success mm-hmm. and identify things that are holding them back in terms of their growth. So can you tell us how long the company's been going and when you decided to to move to the US and why you made that move? Okay, so, so the, the company's been going three years. Um, and from the very outset, we decided, even though we're an Irish, uh, co- two co-founders based here at the time, that the US market was our market, North America was our market. So we never built a product for the European market. We went straight to the US. Um, and when I say went straight to it, we first entered the market through an accelerator. So there is an accelerator called Access Silicon Valley, um, and we became part of that. It's run by an organization called Enterprise Ireland, um, and they are an organization, state organization. They're also very big investors in startups, um, and they do this as a way of accelerating people's access to the U.S., particularly Silicon Valley, hence the name. So that, that was our first entry into the market. But our, our, sorry, I should say, I should predicate that by saying the purpose of us going there at that time and using the accelerator was to find out whether what we could see SaaS companies struggling with in Europe was the, was being replicated over in the U.S. because and North America. Because basically, if we if we had got that wrong, there's no point in developing the product. And we felt that if you develop the product for what you might call the European market, but certainly at the time was quite a bit behind SaaS uh, and what was going on in Silicon Valley, you, you know, your product would already be on the back foot. So we wanted to get ahead of the market. And and why did you want to focus on the U.S. right from the get-go? At least, well, we've been doing so much research on this, but we reckon 48% of all SaaS companies worldwide are based in North America. So so basically that's that's where the biggest market that's is. That's where the biggest market is, and a, and a huge concentration as well. So, I mean, when you think about the States, I think one of the biggest challenges for any technology company going into the States is it's so enormous. And of course, that is a massive opportunity. You go, great, it's, you know, millions and millions of people, great. But the other challenge is it's so enormous. Well, how do you, you know, with your money that you do have and your focus, how do you get to the market to start making traction. So you have to really bring it down into small pieces and start, you know, going in bit by bit, you know, how to eat an elephant, you know, one one bite at a time. So we knew that what was very good about North America when it came to SaaS was that there are clusters of where those companies are. So we don't have to be everywhere. And what are those clusters? So the clusters are um, Silicon Valley, massive. Uh, in fact, all California, including LA. 
Then there are clusters in places like Atlanta, but then really New York. New York, so it would be California, New York. Then you've got clusters again around Amazon, of course, and Microsoft. So they would be up in, in um, Oregon and Seattle, up that way. Uh, and then Atlanta, I mentioned Atlanta earlier on. So those are where the clusters are. Um, and in fact, we had we were lucky to kind of stumble across some really good research about where SaaS companies in North America are based. So we kind of worked our way out from there. But I think, if my memory serves me correctly, that in California, it's up to 26% of all those SaaS companies. So you can see how dominant they were. So, And can you, can you tell us about actually literally moving your company there? What did you do? When did it happen? What were the logistical steps you took to do that? So, you know, I know in your previous podcast, you've referred to kind of getting the visa and all the logistics. So I'm not, I'm not going to go into all of that. But I mean, we did have to take it in steps. So our first piece of going to the States has really been about research and then identifying partners. But prior to that, we said, well, where would we do that? You know, what, what part of the States would we do that? So um, when we went to, um, we decided Silicon Valley because the kind of the, both the money in terms of investing in SaaS and the leaders in SaaS are there in big numbers. I mean, it's a bit like Disneyland for SaaS. Okay, every street corner has the SaaS company you most admire. Um, and so that's where we went. Um, and when we went there, we thought, we can't afford this. You know, we had 150,000 in angel investment. So how, how long is that going to last? Okay, and in the most expensive place in probably the world to have a company. But at that time, it was just me and my co-founder. Um, and we were sitting at a dinner party before we left with some friends of ours, who one of whom was South African, um, and telling her what we were doing. And we just rented an Airbnb for four months, costing us, I won't even tell you how much, but a lot, 4,000 a month for a cottage, basically, in San Jose, which is an hour and a bit from, from, from San Francisco. Um, and she said, well, my brother lives in, in Silicon Valley. He's an entrepreneur. Why don't you stay with him? And we said, well, he doesn't really know us. In fact, it's not just me, it's me and my friend, you know, my co-founder. No, 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 he, he'll have you. So I mean, I'm saying that, because we did stay with him, by the way. Mm -hmm. And we ended up staying with him on and off for a year and a half mm. with him and his wife, wow. who I also very much emailed at the beginning to say, your husband may say yes, but what do you think? <laughs> um, and, and that was actually an entree into understanding the psychology of Americans, but particularly the Californians and Silicon Valley. It's all about... I've been here before, I've gone through tough times, I know what it's like trying to start a business, or I just want to help you. And so they take that very seriously there. And that enabled us to get about two years out of that 150,000, basically. And the other thing we did was we said, well, look, how are we going to find the right people? Like, we know the companies are here, but how are we going to find the right people to help us guide in terms of what they need in, in terms of product, but also help us with the investment? Um, and the stages we could, should be taking, because, you know, we had done, we were both entrepreneurs, we both had run businesses before, but, you know, scaling a international business is a different dynamic. It's not the same as what we'd done previously. So we knew the only way to do that is to get really good people around you. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had read about and heard from our experience before about these accelerators, the tech accelerators, um, and we heard about plug and play. You've probably heard Y Combinator, uh, 500 startups and, and plug and play, they would be the big tech accelerators that the premise is they take a small piece of equity in exchange for guiding you through, providing you with a program to improve your product and your team and also making intros to investors. And so we met uh, a guy called Ali Reza Masur, who is the leading partner of the investment side of plug and play, had seen either us presenting or something we'd done and contacted us and said, look, come in and see me. Um, and we went in to see him, and he, he really liked what we were doing, but he was a bit hesitant, you know. So 
he said, look, come back and talk to me again. And we're thinking, yeah, right, that's another flight. You know, but you know, you, you say, okay, we'll just, we'll do it. So we flew back out to meet him and Brenda couldn't come at the time and I was there and I could see him as I was telling the story about what we were doing and what we were planning to do. I could see I was losing him. You know, the eyes were beginning to... <laughs> <laughs> just glaze over a bit and I'm going I, I'm not going to lose this so I basically said look you know anyways we are going to be massive we are going to be huge and you have helped us get this far why don't you just help us a bit more and actually get involved with the company and so he just said okay mm-hmm. so I mean that and that's really when they, people say things can happen in the States they can really happen he just said yes um, and then that ended up us being in plug and play and at that time, did you already have your technical platform developed to a degree or did you not have anything? We had a really basic MVP. Right. I mean, MVP I think MVP is probably minimum viable product. Okay. But I think that's probably exa- exaggeration. Yeah. You know, it wasn't really. It was, a very, it was really a prototype we had. <laughs> we knew that we, our next thing was to get a, a product, but we thought, what's the point in putting a whole lot of money into developing a product that we're not absolutely sure meets the needs of this market? You're now based in New Haven. In Connecticut. Yeah. So how comes you went from San Francisco to being in New Haven? So when we were in San Francisco, at this stage, we were, you know, saying, okay, we're going to start looking for investment. Okay. So, um, you know, we had we were literally, you know, hanging on by our fingernails on, on, on keeping going at that stage. And we had a huge amount of people, by the way, who helped us along the way. You know, everything from, we had lawyers both in Ireland and the States who were doing it pro bono. Uh, we had advisors who, who met us through different pitches that we'd done who liked us and kept by our side the whole way. So we had that whole network around us. And so it was very tempting in a way to stay with San Francisco. But Brenda, my co-founder, Brenda Jordan, had met um, a guy called Doug Roth at Futurescope, which is a technology um, event that's held here for startups and different technology companies. And Doug was from a, um, a VC firm called uh, Connecticut Innovations. And Connecticut Innovations were really looking for good startup technology companies to come and pitch to them for funding. And part of that was to attract them into Connecticut. So he really, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, he really did chase us and say, I really like what you're doing. I really get what you're doing. I know this problem. Please apply. And, you know, we we got used to getting no's and we thought, oh, there's a lot of paperwork involved in this application, you know. We're really going to do it. And so Brenda and I at the weekend said, oh, look, let's go for it. Let's go hell for leather. Let's see what happens. And so we got... Uh, we won a competition out of 300 companies. There were there were six winners, wow. and we won. So we were oh. one of one of five winners, I think it was. So then we said, "Well, look, let's let's have a look at Connecticut because we were beginning to realize that San Francisco is just so expensive, if a so we can you could melt through your money in no time. But on top of that, trying to keep people, particularly developers, which is what we really needed." Um, and salespeople was going to be really hard. So, and it's far away, right? I mean, it's uh, not far, so far away. And it's so far away. And it's so far away. And Connecticut, you know, they were trying to get us to stay there, and that was part of the deal. Strong Irish connection there as well, right? Yeah, they, lots, lots, <laughs> lots, even more so in Boston, but yes, absolutely. Um, but anyway, to cut a long story short, once we looked at the economics, we said, you know, this really makes sense. Lots of really good universities around. Yes, you're competing with New York, but a little bit further north in Connecticut, you're not necessarily directly competing. Um, and so we thought, well, let, let's give it a go. And of course, it helped with having got the funding. So right now you have people in Dublin and people in New Haven. Our team are in in Dublin. Brenda and I as co-founders are the two people who are in Connecticut. And now we've just closed out around. So we're now beginning to hire in the US. Um, and so rather than being exploring, researching, getting our feet, we're now into a new phase of actually developing uh, the business over there and, and investing in there. And so if your focus has been the U.S. market, why have you kept a base here in Dublin? Um, be, be, I mean, Because, uh, of course, initially we were building a product with the team here. 
and you know they were incredible so why would we move and also we could you know we it, it was working really well and um, we also uh, found a CTO in California but he's been working remotely with the guys for a year and a half and it's it's working really really well I mean I, I would have wondered whether that actually worked before we did it but it's worked brilliantly um, and he's extremely experienced very good at running remote teams um, and we're going to stick with him because he's been superb for us. So what are the actual logistics of of making that move to the US? What were things you had to prepare for, things that you ended up having to deal with once you once you got out there? Well, I suppose that you, you need certain people behind you, right? You need, um, you know, we need, knew we were going to have to apply for visas, so we needed really good people around that. We had to set up a Delaware C, a corporated company. So all of those things were costing us money. But what we we managed to meet this woman, uh, Carol Schrader, and she is a whiz in terms of understanding how the whole America operates, North America operates. Um, and we and she was based in San Francisco, um, and she actually knew one of our investors, our angel investors. So when we met her, she said, "Now don't go out there trying to spend any money on lawyers or advisors, because remember, over here they will put a certain pot of money aside." as an investment in companies that are startups like yours that they believe in, and they will give you work pro bono. So that was a really good piece of advice. So we would go in to talk to, you know, Wilson Sansini, Cooley, all the big uh, all the big law firms, asking them to tell us why we should be going to them as opposed to the other way around, right? And that changes the dynamic. Um, and then we managed to get Cooley as a, as a fantastic um, counsel for us. But... Lawyers are different over there, which you may realize is that they're much more business connectors as, as opposed to just lawyers. They, they can accelerate introductions to customers. They can accelerate um, introductions to investors, and they, and they will do that. So learning how to get things for nothing was very important for us, mm-hmm. um, and we did certainly do that. Um, and with the accelerator, you know, you, you get a premises. You also get all these contacts. You have to give some small equity away, but it was a very small amount of equity. Um, and so we ended up actually being there a year without having to pay rent. So, again, logistically, that was really important for us. But, uh, you know, th- we, we really um, learned how to find lots of ways of saving money. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're in San Francisco, parking is incredibly expensive, um, like $40 for a couple of hours. So there's a little app called Spot Hero. So we discovered this little app. So we, it would show you if they had extra... Um, you know, stock in a car park in a hotel, they would sell it to you through Spot Hero and you get parking for $8. So, you know, we learned all these little tricks to shortcut the cost of being there. Um, and also, I think you can waste an awful lot of time if you don't narrow down who your customer really is. You know, you can't say all SaaS are our customers. And I think it must be the same for everybody. When you're, when you're starting to build in a new market, you say, well, who's the absolute easiest person to sell to rather than everybody? Um, and we discovered that um, SaaS companies that are be- beginning to scale and are looking for investment, they absolutely have to have their fingers on the data um, because that's what the VCs will look for. And so we can do that for them in an automated way and give them insight they wouldn't normally have. So that they were the easiest for us to, to identify. So then we had to find out how do we get to them, where are they? And, and how, how important was it to physically be there? Um, I think uh, uh, vital. I don't think you can... I don't think you can break into the market not being there. Did you actually move there or did you just go back and forth? We went back and forth. Right. Um, you know, now that we have, we're at the new phase and we're going to have people working for us, we'll have to be there far more. So you're going to move there? Yeah, yeah. And once we get our visas and everything worked out and finalized, that's our plan. 
And did you take your family? I mean, yeah, family? Yes. That, so, so are they looking forward to it? it? Well, my family are a little older now. They're, you know, they're, that's the great thing about I'm not 26, right? Or I'm not 35. <laughs> so they, I don't have to worry about that in a way. Oh, okay. You know, they, they're a little bit older. But they will come out, absolutely. Um, and my partner, Connell, he's, he's a businessman as well. So he really gets it. He is, is very involved in startups and technology anyway. So, you know, he's going to come back and forth as well. From colonial times, Connecticut has been predominantly a manufacturing state. Hundreds of factories, large and small, are crowded within her borders. Her people are proud of their tradition of fine craftsmanship. Intensely industrial, yet peaceful and charmingly rural, Connecticut is one of the most interesting, one of the most progressive and important states in this land of ours. So I wanted to know, you have run other companies as well in the past. What's the difference in terms of doing business out in the US compared to here in Ireland? Um, I mean, I would have sold into the UK as well. And, and I would have I had another startup that did um, benchmarking. It was a software solution, benchmarking for retail banks and insurance companies. And so I sold into, or I, I really tried hard to sell into Germany, into Holland, into the UK and Ireland. And I think the biggest difference, the single biggest difference is that there's an appetite for trying new things and new technologies in the States. The people will leap in and say, yeah, I, I think I can trust this woman. I know she's, you know, she's, this is new, but I think that team is going to do it. And they will make that, they will make that leap. Now, it's an unfair comparison in a way because, you know, the banking industry and insurance industry who are my customers for the last product are, tend to be more conservative anyway. Um, and at the time I was selling to them, they were in the middle of a crisis. So unless I could solve something to do with that crisis, you know, uh, it would be not fair to have a fair comparison. But in general, I think it's a very different um, mindset about buying new technology and new products and new services. People want to, they want to, if they can, give you, give you a start. And what about the two coasts of the US, though? Because you've just moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. Because often we, we think of the US as being like one big place, mm. but... Have you found doing business in the two places different? I mean, this is not, uh, this is my impression rather than it being logical. My impression is that in, in Silicon Valley, there's a, like, if you love technology, you can just be there every day talking about technology. You never escape from it. So, and there's always something on and there's somebody at some event and you can get access to amazing people. So, for example, on one of our accelerators, we, we spent three hours with the product, the lead product developer in LinkedIn from founding days, you know, so you, you can get access to these people. But everybody in a taxi, everybody in a shop, everybody everywhere in California or in Silicon Valley are, are interested in technology and have a portfolio of some kind. So it's not, it's about investing, it's about what's new. So it's a little bit manic. Now that's great, but it also can be very noisy. And, and sometimes I think you need to get away from it as well, you know, because it's just, it's, it can be all consuming. Much more kind of calm, um, a different approach in the East Coast. Um, I'm not, they're both open in terms of new technology and bringing it into the business, but they're a little bit more, it's a bit more calm. I think they see a little bit of a longer game. Mm -hmm. um, but that's my personal opinion. Other people may feel differently about it, but that's what we've seen. Um, but both sides of the East and West Coast, once they become your champion, they will really work hard to help you succeed. And I'm always blown away by it. I still feel guilty about people who've helped us. 
and I haven't been able to pay them. But they don't want to be paid. It's the way they see the world. They've got so far in their careers and they're very happy to, to help you, actively help you uh, get further on. And so what would be your tips for a company who are looking to make the move? Um, I think that before you go there, the big thing is, you know, not don't try and do too much. You know, what am I here for? What's this trip about? Um, you know, have, have a, a, a bones of a strategic view of what you're doing out there. So like if you take us, our first step was, is the market there? Okay. If the market's there, what do they want? Who within that customer base are the most likely to buy from us? And then around that, you're saying, well, how do I find that out? What's my framework? And how am I going to do it? What's my methodology? And, and I think for me, it was a bit of an advantage because my background before, I had a digital strategy agency. So I, I kind of was thinking like that. But that really helped us to frame what we were doing and why we were there. And when, every trip before we went, we did lots of prep. We'd have all the whom we're going to meet. You know, all of that work was done before we got there. So we weren't going out there. We were going out there with our meetings in place. And then we'd spend the first week augmenting other meetings um, with the ones we'd already booked. Mm-hmm. So it, it really allowed you to, um, you know, make the most of your time. And then I think you have to, no matter who you are, even if you, I don't care if you're a $50 million company going into the US from Europe, really have to watch the money because um, you can just melt away. It's such a big country. Do you think it's a disadvantage or an advantage um, to do business in the US as a European? Or maybe as an Irish as an Irish person in, in particular? Is the, is the response positive? Or, you know, there's often this, I think, this conception there where they, it's, it's best. You really need to have Americans to do business with Americans. They don't take Europeans seriously. Other people say, well, it's the direct opposite. You have a big advantage um, if you're not American um, because there's curiosity and um, people give you the benefit of the doubt and you're allowed to make more mistakes in a way, you know, rather than when you're an American. I think it's, um, I think it might be slightly different on West Coast and East Coast. And, I, and the reason I'm saying that is on the West Coast, everybody's from somewhere else. You know, we're not unusual. You're, you're, one, you're one of many, okay? And I loved that because you're, you're learning from lots of different people, loads of different perceptions, loads of different angles. And I think that really improves, you know, the business. But being Irish in that mix certainly helps. And, and the reason it helps is because once we learn to slow down when we speak, people can understand <laughs> us, you know, because when Irish people talk and they get excited, everything speeds up, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's a big advantage because you can speak English. Um, and then the other side is that there's such a big percentage of people that have some... Irish ancestry, exactly, um, and there and the even if it's not direct memory, the emotional memory of people coming from Ireland and trying to make their way is there. So there's a, a, a propensity to try and enable you, um, and so those things definitely do help. I definitely think they help. Now, by the way, that only opens the door. It's up to you then to deliver, and if you don't deliver, they're as hard as you as they are anybody else. That makes sense, yeah. And and so you mentioned the family who you stayed with, yes. on and off for a year and a half, and the, they were really helpful in terms of guiding you. Um, were there sort of any other communities or people um, scenes you could plug into that were specifically for people who were just moving or trying to move their business over to the US? <laughs> I mean, the family we stayed with really logistically helped us and probably psychologically helped us, right? Because they, they were there and they, they themselves had come from different countries. Well, not Amanda, who was the wife, but the husband, Martin. Um, but the, the I hate to go back to that, but the accelerators, there that's what they're there for because they're there to enable companies who don't come from often the, the locality to fi- give them a soft landing, really, and kind of guide them. So the, I would be a huge believer in the accelerators as enablement to get into the market and understand what's going on and understand the culture because they track so many mentors and advisors into them that you can really 
learn very fast. Now, if you're a very mature company, you probably won't use the accelerators in the same way we did because we gave away a small bit of equity in order to be there. But the accelerators usually have room for more mature companies as well. It's a different dynamic. They pay rent or whatever. But I think being an accelerator is just the right place to be mm-hmm. if it's the right one for you. And, and you know, I did um, an article on the different accelerators because there's all different kinds of accelerators that suit you. So if you're biotech or you're like us, you know, analytics, you'll fit in. You'll find your home, if you like, amongst all the different accelerators. And what what was unexpected when you were moving out there? I think I, only, I didn't expect, and you might say this is naive, I, I didn't expect that there would be a little bit of raised eyebrow being two female co-founders of a tech company. Huh. There's a little bit of that. It's quite a macho environment in Silicon Valley. N- not so much on the East Coast, which is interesting. You wouldn't, you think, I would have thought beforehand that Silicon Valley is incredibly forward thinking. But around that, it's not. And it's a very male dominated, both in, in terms of the companies and who runs them, but also in terms of the investors. So that was a bit of a surprise. Um, they're trying to change that, obviously. But what, what were the reactions you were getting? Or how were you sensing the reactions? See, it's, it's, you know, I'm not going to talk about me having factual information to express what I think is underneath. But I think we got asked questions that maybe some other companies wouldn't get asked if they were male co-founders of a tech company. But let's go back to facts, right? The stats are proving 2% of investment from VCs um, in in North America are are women, right? Women-founded companies. So it's definitely there. It's it's somewhere there. Um, And then they've done some other research, which is all around, well, of the VCs who are predominantly male, of those males who do invest in VC women, or sorry, excuse me, female-founded companies, is there a particular characteristics that they share? Um, and some of the evidence is that they are um, VCs who have daughters who are working and they understand what they're doing, right? And, and, what, what they, and they can see what they're doing and or their wives work. So it's something that's it's very subliminal and it's certainly not conscious. People do not want to be biased, but it, it's a subconscious bias. So it is there. Now we've, on the other hand, the people who've helped us most have been men So in terms of both our investors so it's not everybody, you know, it just isn't. But it is a, it is a challenge. But and, and this is something you weren't expecting it to be as severe or as extreme. I, just, I would have thought, gosh, you know, Silicon Valley, America's been you know, the country of equality and liberation for well ahead of everybody else. But it's not that. Is that is that less the case in Ireland than in Europe, you would say? Is that a particular issue in, in Silicon Valley? I mean, we heard all these stories. They're confirming what you just said from Uber, you know. They, I mean, in, in a sense... The chief executive, you know, had to leave um, because of this very poisonous culture within the company, which has now changed a lot, I believe. But do you think this is an equally significant problem in in Ireland and in Europe? So firstly, I'm not the spokesperson on this subject. I brought it up because (laughs) I just think, you know, be aware. Uh, So I couldn't really say. But what I I did see was that, okay, could it be that technology companies have this propensity, right? Because of the number and the percentage and the bias towards men in engineering and, because and programming. Because of the nerds, yeah. And, that, and therefore, that's what Silicon Valley is all about, so therefore, that's what's happened. Good point, I, yeah. I don't know, Interesting, you yeah. know, because I don't know if it's experienced in other industries mm. over there in, in California, because I don't really know them. I know my area. Mm. Um, so I suspect maybe it is to do with that. And just more broadly, what would be your do's and don'ts for a company who are making that move? Um, I think, you know, we obviously we've got lots of advice and I might, might think, listen to people, you know, and obviously pick your advisors carefully and you can, you can, you can ring people. If somebody says to you, I've worked with lots of startups and you're, you know, you're, you're saying, okay, well, uh, who, who did you work with? 
There's n- th- those, those founders have no problem with you ringing them up or you linking into them on LinkedIn and say, hey, listen, we met David, whatever his name is, um, and he's offered to help us. And he said he's worked with you. Have you had a good experience? So I would definitely do that because you're going to be working closely with these people. You don't have a lot of time. And so you need to pick the right one. So it definitely would would get advice, but make sure you, you qualify who they are. It helps if you're in a group like an accelerator because they're already being pre-qualified, but even so. Um, and then I suppose the other thing is to, I wouldn't jump in and open up an office. I'd say, okay, let's figure out first what we who the customer is, what they're looking for, and, and do a lot of smoke and mirrors in terms of making sure you're always online when you're needed and people believe you're there all of the time and you have an office there. But, you know, use the accelerator, wherever it is, to, to show you have some base there. Mm-hmm. But until you really know what you're building, for whom, and what the business is going to look like, take your time. And I know for us, um, you know, you, you could say, why don't we get a whole lot of um, US salespeople to do the work for us? You know, we've we've done the product you know, as much as we can, specification, we know what the market needs, now we're beginning to start selling. But you'll never be able to hear what customers are really saying if you pass that job to somebody else. And, and all of that feedback goes back into your the direction you go in, the partnerships that you look for, the way you develop your product. And if you pass that over to somebody else, you're, you're not going to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would definitely not, I, I would either put in the founder or somebody very senior in the business to do that first customer acquisition and understand what they're saying to you because they don't think the same way we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as long as you speak slowly and clearly in English, you know, it's fine. They don't care that you're from a different country. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, the other thing we learned very fast is they will not put up with... Um, Anglicized spelling. <laughs> they don't mind what accent you have. They don't even, they'll even struggle listening to you if it's very a heavy accent, but they really get annoyed if you write things <laughs> with S's instead of Z's, you know, that kind of thing. So that's well worth if you've got websites or you've got material, making sure that they're, they're Americanized. That's a very good tip, yeah. Good point, yeah. So you said don't jump in and open an office. And a moment ago you were saying it's worth doing your prep and then going out there for meetings. Um, how feasible is it to do all of this remotely? And I'm also thinking of the time differences, especially here in California, it's like about eight hours or so. So Yeah, I mean, actually, go, if, to go back to what you said, you, I did say don't open a big office, really, what I should have okay. said. Have a base there. Like, Let's say you've got you know, two people who are going to do get you into the market. You know, you're going to have to have a base for them. And if you're a company that can afford it, you could get a, an office somewhere. There's lots of co-working spaces that are, you know, like WeWork, et cetera, which I think are great because you get a sense of every, everybody else. You're not stuck off in a, in a hide, hideaway office. You know, you're learning about what's going on. They'll give you tips. You'll find out what's going on in town much more quickly. How feasible is it to do a lot of this setup remotely? And I'm thinking also the time difference and you know, just logistically trying to trying to make that happen. I mean, the time difference is a big deal. So I think you're becoming the, an owl. You really there. do. I mean, when we when we're over there, that's fine. Yeah. Right. And even the East Coast, West Coast, you have to manage. Mm-hmm. But that's totally feasible. But when we do come back, and let's say we come back to work with our developers for you know two weeks or whatever. And in fact, we were back a lot this summer because we were bring, we we're opening our API um, so that anybody can plug into our product. So we needed time here, and also we were closing out our Irish investors. We'd already secured our US ones, um, and so that was a real challenge. Quite frankly, it's really hard to do the, the the different times. So you know, in theory, you'd say to yourself, "I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll start late in the day, and then I'll work late in the evening." But nobody does that. Not not founders. You you get up and you. You, you can't help it. You're starting straight in. You're not going to go off and do yoga in the morning. and you know, It's not going to happen. I mean, I tried, but, you know. Cook dinner for later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do do stuff, you know, try not to kill yourself because you can't, you can't keep going. But uh, it, the time difference is, is definitely a challenge. So being there, for, particularly with our partners and, and um, investors in the U.S. and Connecticut, you know, they can see we have to be there. 
because the time difference is, is makes a big a big challenge otherwise. But but even some of the setup prep, like um, contacting people or co contacting people you might not have met before in person, mm. and then trying to set up with meet meetings with them and stuff. How how feasible is some of that, or is it really a case of you've got to get out there and face to face to make those connections? I suppose it's how important that meeting is. So let's say you're, let's pretend, we, for example, we have Amazon, we're an Amazon or AWS partner, okay? And so the discovery about whether we're a good match and all that, you can do a lot of that through Zoom. But the, the minute you start wanting them to support you and really get in there with them, you're going to have to meet them. I, I, you know, it's too big a deal. They're too big an organization. You're just another number and you want them to really remember you. And, you know, part of being... Um, early in, in in any kind of new market is that you've got to people have got to go in behind you. You know you don't have the power of a big brand, so they, they they have to kind of support you. So I think it's hard to get that if you're not there at least some of the time. We met um, team members from Enterprise Island last year. For example, we went to events. We met them on South by Southwest, and every single entrepreneur from Ireland that we met has spoken very positively about their impact um, and the support, and them being very hands on. Um, can you tell a little bit about your own experience with them and why they are so important? Because I think that's a really good tip for many of our listeners who are from Ireland. Okay, so I mean, even if you're not from Ireland, I would encourage every state agency out there to do what our Enterprise Ireland are doing. That they, I mean, without blowing our trumpet too loudly, they are very good at what they do, and, and we're really proud, in fact, that they are so good at supporting startups. But on a practical level, you know. I think that Enterprise Ireland, you've got to figure out what their job is and their mandate and how you make the most of that, right? And they will invite you. Once you become an invest, they're invested in you, which they are in our company, you get invited to lots of stuff. So you can't go to everything. Got to narrow down what it is you want from them to make the most of them. But what's amazing about them is their offices overseas are so good. So, for example, we've narrowed down, as I told you, the, the profile of who we're going after. And so Enterprise Ireland, New York, um, he will help me build up a list and get the list of leads and also find out of their companies that he knows that could be my first customers, you know, so that, that's really practical help on the ground. And also there's a lot of research available to you if you need it, you know, and, and just generally they are right behind you. Um, and it, for example, if you want to, like, like, let's say we decided we're going to have an, a CEO event for SaaS making, you know, 7 million error. Enterprise Iron will host that in New York They will help us with the logistics and the invitations. So that's massive for us, you know, and, and also that gives you credibility because they're, they're where they are usually is downtown out of San Francisco or New York. So you get all of that, you know, right there and set up for you. Um, so I think they're, they're very, very important. You've talked about this a little bit before, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. Um, what would be your main advice to a company who are wanting to do the move to the US? Um, I would say firstly, do it, definitely. Uh, don't get over overwhelmed by the size of the states. Um, and I, I hope I said it earlier, but it's really about breaking it down into, into, into pockets. You know, so if you're a well-established business, you might say, okay, I bet you our customers in the US are exactly the same. Well, I suspect they're not. They could be different. Um, and so it's to, um, you know, try and kind of hone in on Not be too narrow to start with, but try and see what customer customer needs you could fulfill that maybe in an industry you haven't currently broken in Europe. Because I think people can find that that changes. Um, and you definitely need people around you to navigate you through that. So it's, it's you know, I, I, I think bringing up your a whole team over who've done it in Europe is not the answer. I think it's bring over people who are taking ownership of it and get them to get local people 
to help them do what they've done in Europe and understand what's happening. Because there are nuances over there that you just won't get. And I think that'll even be harder if there's a language barrier. Mm -hmm. So you definitely need somebody there who's going to you know, say it as it is. And also don't, be, don't want, get people to tell you what you want to hear. You know, if you think I'm really successful, I really know everything, you're not, you're not going to hear the answers you need to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and so whenever, if we got rejected in any way, our job before we left the room was say, why did you say no? Because mm -hmm. we'll learn from it. We won't be offended. And were people quite receptive in giving you honest They feedback? would, but you had to ask the question. They're not going to volunteer it. Okay. Um, so you'd have to say, you know, what is it you, why didn't you buy the product? Okay. Um, and, they, and they will tell you. And, and were the reasons ever to do with sort of cultural differences, not knowing the market enough, the fact that you guys were from here, did, did, was that ever a factor? Never. Okay. Never. I mean, the, 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 unless it was hidden. And I don't feel it was. Mm -hmm. It was more to do, you know, maybe our product wasn't uh, exactly right for them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, um, you know, maybe we were not further enough along in terms of the delivery of what we could do as we are now. And yeah. so therefore there might have been something else they could look at. Mm -hmm. Cool. And um, how do we find out about what you guys are doing? Oh, so we are, by the way, we're open to business. Any SaaS companies at all who really want to accelerate the growth, we're the people to call. Uh, and mine, my, my address is uh, mave.neefsi at cloudkpi.com. And we also have our website, cloudkpi.com. And we're also on LinkedIn. So um, we're available. And, and also to um, give back, I'm happy to help somebody, you know, within reason, because I've had so much help. So if there's something I can help with, email me. This is Move Your Business to the United States from Mount Bonnell Advisors. I'm Nastrian Tavakoli-Farr, and you just heard Maeve Nevsky from CloudKPI, who are at cloudkpi.com. Do check them out. Our sound engineer is Emmett Glynn, and our podcast manager is Novena Paunovic. We use some samples from the Prelinger archives, who have some great educational films and home movies from the US. We'll be back in two weeks with more from another company who've made the move. Send us questions you want answered to info at mountbonnell.com. That's M-T-B-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. You can also find that in the show notes. Okay, we'll speak to you again in two weeks.